But it's good to be with everyone. My name is Michael, and I am one of the pastors here. And together with my wife, beautiful wife, Crystal, we get to lead the 5 p.m. congregation. Go on. You guys are my favorite congregation in the life of the church and in the world. I just want you to know that. I absolutely do love preaching here. I love this community, and I really just love to see what's happening in worship at the moment, but also what's happening together in us as a 5 p.m. Life Changes congregation. And so we're in a new series called We the Church, and it's looking at what the local church is, and that the local church is the hope of the world, and that there is power in the local church. And so tonight, we are going to be looking at the power of fellowship. And my, my hope for you tonight is at the very least, it will provoke some thought in your life. But at the most, it will lead to some radical change so that people encounter Jesus Christ. Because I believe when the local church takes the power and the authority that Jesus gives to us, and we walk in that freedom, we walk with that in courage and boldness, then people will see him through our lives. And this city of Cape Town will be changed. The nation of South Africa will be changed. And God will get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise because of us. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to get stuck into subscripture tonight. So Lord, we just thank you that you are here. We even just thank you for the time of worship together, Lord. That we get to do that as a community. That it's a privilege, Lord. That you have placed each and every person here for a purpose, that you have chosen them, that you have called them. It's not by some random act that they are here tonight, Lord. So I pray that you will pour out your spirit in this place, Lord, that we will know that we are your church, that we are called by you, we are chosen by you, that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, Lord. But I pray that faith will begin to rise in this room, that people will begin to see you in fullness, Lord, and that we will leave you changed and transformed by the good news of the gospel. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. So if I ask you, what first comes to mind when I say the word church? Just take a few moments. You don't need a shout out. Maybe for some, it's worship. Maybe for others, it's gathering together and having a good cup of coffee. Maybe for uh, some others, it's two hours of preaching and a lot of boredom. Maybe for others, it's that place where you just really did not want to go when you were younger. For me, I actually have quite a long journey in the church. And uh, I was first invited when I was around 10 years old to church. And I was invited by two friends. Why? Because they got a free fist pop if they brought a friend. Christian bribery at its finalist. Amen, Jesus. It worked. I am the product. But I, I, I was invited to a, a kids' church on a Friday night, and I absolutely loved it. I was the terror of kids' church. I was the kid that the uh, leaders would have meetings about after kids' church on a Friday night. But I got stuck in, and I absolutely loved it. And then I was in that church for around 10 years, and then eventually uh, a friend of mine invited me to another church, which was a smaller church. It was around 80 people. The average age was also 80 in the room. But it was an amazing community who loved Jesus, who wanted to see his miracles and signs and wonders come. And it was just an amazing community of fellowship and friendship, and I was loved in that place. And then fast forward a couple of years, not really in church anymore, not walking with God, but then uh, get invited by a friend to this very church and to the PM congregation. And he called me up not one, not two, not three, but five times that I have to come to church. And his two selling points were this. There are young adults, because by previous church there were no young adults, and there are girls. Christian bribery at its finest. I am the product of that again. 
not a great selling point, but the power of an invite was radical in my life because it took someone who cared so much about me and my eternal salvation, no matter where I was in my journey, they saw power and potential in the local church and invited me into this space. And so I want to ask you, what comes to mind when you think of the church? And what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask this side of the room, this beautiful side, will you stand to your feet? Yep, you stand to your feet. Great, you do, you're doing so well already. Now turn to that side. Turn to that side and have a good look, look at them. What do you observe? That's the question. You don't, need a, you don't need a shout out. Just make some mental notes right now. What do you observe? Okay. People, people good? Just, just take a moment and think of it. Don't shout out. Just, we're going to come back to this later. Take a good look at the room. Take a good look at all the spaces, all the people. Make some mental notes about what you observe. Okay, you're doing a fantastic job. You may now take your seats. Come on. Okay, I'm going to ask this side of the room. Stand to your feet. You're going to do the same thing. Take a look at this gorgeous group of people. Make some, make some mental notes. Henry's looking at the ceiling. He's getting a little bit confused, but it's okay. This is community. Make a mental note. What do you see? You may now take your seats. See, one thing that I observe is that all of you are sitting in rows. Now, if you go to 99% of Western churches, you will find that uh, we set chairs out in rows, and maybe people come, they come to church on a Sunday, they listen to hopefully only 30 minutes of someone preaching the word, and uh, we sing a couple of worship songs, have a cup of coffee, and then we go home to do it again the next week. And there's this model of church nowadays where church is like a fuel stop. You come in to get just a little top up so that you can go out in the week, so that you can be full of faith as you go out on the Monday morning, having to slog in work, having to get through all the pressures of life, having to get kids ready for school, and you come for a top up to hear the word, to receive uh, in worship, and to gather together with fellow believers. And I think that's not a wrong model of church, but I think that's a poor version of what the local church could be. Church is not just a fuel stop on a Sunday. There's something much more powerful in the local church. Mark Sayers says it like this. He says, much of the Western church is operating on the kinetic forward motion of previous moves of God, lounging on a platform built by the service and ministry of past and passing generations. However, the fuel tank is approaching empty. When we look at the Bible, the Bible presents a different picture of what the church could be. See, the local church in the Bible means the called out ones, the ones chosen by God, the ones that have received new life through Jesus Christ and who are walking in that new life together as believers, being a sign and a wonder to a world in desperate need of hope, freedom, and joy. That's what it means to be the local church. And in Acts 2, we're going to get to some scripture on the screen behind me now. It gives us a picture of the potential of the local church. This isn't a prescription of the local church must be, but it's a picture of the potential and power of what the local church could be. And so we're going to look in Acts 2 verse 42 to 47, and it's on the screen behind me. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Two things to notice off the bat. They gathered together. The local church is a group of believers who gather together. And they gather together first in the temple courts. Very much like we do on a Sunday. They would have heard the word preached. They would have gathered together. They would have praised and worshipped God. But then there's also another picture of the local church, which is here. They gather together in each other's homes. And it wasn't just like a once-off occurrence or maybe once every six weeks when they had time in their calendar and then when they could move a couple of things around. No, they gathered together in each other's homes daily. Why? Because people were being added to their number daily and being saved. Why? Because people had encountered the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's a Messiah who had come, a Messiah who could bring dead people to life. They had encountered His goodness, encountered the Holy Spirit, and then people were being added daily to the church, and they gathered together, they fellowshiped together, they prayed for one another, they sold all their possessions for other people who had need, and they did this daily. This isn't a once-off occurrence or a fuel stop on a Sunday. This is a picture of what the fellowship of the local church could be. And so this is a picture of believers who are closely and intimately involved in one another's lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. We are not just here to attend church on a Sunday, Life Changes PM. We are here to be intimately involved with one another. Why? Because it glorifies Jesus Christ. We are here to support one another and pray for one another and sharpen one another. Old, rich, poor, white, black. No matter what your demographic or social status is, we are called to gather together. Why? Because we are the church and the body of Jesus Christ. And you are chosen and called. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life tonight. And so that word devote, we don't maybe have a good word for it in modern English. That word devote in in our days, means like a once-off occurrence that we make a decision about. It's like Apple iTunes. We scroll through it, we click yes, we don't read the terms and conditions, and then they could repossess our house at one day because we don't know what we said. That's not what the word devote means in the Bible here. Devote means to continually pay attention to, to attend to constantly. It's not a once-off occurrence. It's something that you have to do time and time and time again. That you devote yourself today and you devote yourself tomorrow and you devote yourself the next day. And no one can do that for you. It is your act to do. You need to pay close attention to it. You need to do it continually and constantly. And so what did they do? There was a devotion and a commitment to community. Not once every three weeks, not once every three, uh, six weeks, Daily commitment to fellowship together. Why? For the glory of Jesus Christ. It wasn't a principle. It wasn't because the scripture said they had to. No, they had encountered the power of Jesus Christ. And therefore, they wanted to show the world what the potential of the local church could be. And so it's a devotion. It's a continual commitment. But the thing is here is that we can be in a community, but not in fellowship with one another or with God. We can be in a community. We can say we attend Life Changes Church and we'll see you on Easter and in Christmas. 
It's a, that's okay. But that doesn't mean that we're in fellowship with one another, that we know what's going in one another's lives, that we are praying for one another, that we are supporting one another. And that doesn't even mean that we're in fellowship with God. Because we can come to church on a Sunday, but we can be far from Him, and our hearts can be hard, and because of circumstances, and our experiences, and our life. But Jesus is presenting a different picture for each and every one of us. That we can experience His goodness in community. That we can experience healing in community. And I'm not trying to minimize church hurt, because I know that the church has failed us so many times. But healing happens in community when we walk with believers for His glory. For it presents a different picture to the world. That when the world will present a picture of isolation and that you just need to figure out your own journey and you need to figure out what's best for you and me and my Jesus, that's not the picture that we get in the gospel of Jesus Christ here. It's a picture of believers gathering together for his glory and for his sake. And so tonight, we're going to look at a passage of scripture in Mark 2. And if you have your Bibles or you have your phones, I'm going to ask you to turn to that uh, so if you would like to, you can go to Mark 2. Even if you wouldn't like to, we're still going to be in Mark 2 tonight. So it's the story about Jesus healing a paralyzed man. And so I'm going to read for us. It will be on the screen behind me. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carrying, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. A, f a few things for the first part of the story. Along came four loyal friends, and they were carrying this man on a mat. Now this man was paralyzed. And in those days, if a person was paralyzed in the first century, they believed that you were probably paralyzed because you were cursed. That this affliction that you were facing must be because of a curse. And so there's two reasons why you could be cursed. Either you are cursed because of something you had done, or you were cursed because of something that your parents or previous generations had done. That there was sin being passed down the generational bloodline. And so there's two reasons there, but one thing that we need to know is that no one would have befriended a cursed man. You did not want to be seen near anyone who was cursed because that curse could affect your life. You didn't want to uh, um, fraternize with them. You didn't want to be close to them. You did not want to be intimately involved in their life. But we see a different picture here that four people chose to carry this cursed man into a crowded room to get to Jesus Christ. And so we need to realize the gravity of the situation, that this man would have slept on his mat. And this isn't like a comfy bed from Sealy Posturepedic that we get at Bed and Beyond. No, this is just an ordinary reed mat. And not only would he have slept on it, he would have lived on this mat. His whole existence would have been this mat. And he wouldn't have been able to help himself for anything. He wouldn't have ha had gone to the bathroom by himself. He wouldn't have been able to change himself. He wouldn't have been able to do anything by himself. And he depended on the coins of passers-by just to get through life. And so this man was in a broken situation. He was in desperate need. And so the mat really is a picture 
and I'm going to ask you, what is your greatest area of need in your life? What is your greatest area of brokenness? For this man, it was his paralysis. He wasn't able to use his legs. And so the man lay on his mat, and he lived on his mat, and he couldn't do anything by himself. But these four friends had compassion on him. And I think that's a picture here of what the local church could be. That we're not just here to do life with one another and just pass each other by. We're here to have compassion on one another. And that looks like coming alongside one another and taking a corner of each other's mat and loving one another and caring one another and doing whatever possible for one another. Why? Because that's the picture that Jesus presents here. And so when they hear that Jesus, the miracle worker, is in town, They do anything in their means to get to him. When they hear that Jesus, the person who can heal people, the person who can raise people from the dead is in town, they need to get their friend to that man. Why? Because they have compassion on him and they want to see their friend healed. They want to see their friend leading a whole and restored and healthy life. And they know that this man, Jesus, can provide that. And so they do whatever possible. They walked four kilometers. This wasn't just a stop around the corner, life changes. They walked four kilometers to get this man to the house. And then this home wasn't like uh, normal homes that we have today. This home was a tiny home which could only fit around 50 people at max capacity. It was two rooms, but we hear that there was a crowd and no one could get into the house to get to Jesus. Why? Because people wanted to see what he had to offer. And so what did this group of friends do? Did they go home and say, ah, well, we're going to try next week. Sorry, tickets were sold out, but you're just going to have to, you're just going to have to lay there a little bit longer. I don't think you're going anywhere anyway, so it's fine. No. Did they pray for him? Okay, well, you know what? We can't, we can't get to Jesus, so let's just pray together, and I'm sure it's going to be okay. We've prayed together for a hundred times now, and so let's try and believe that something's going to change. No. They did something different. They realized that they needed to get to Jesus, and at all expense to themselves, they scaled the wall of the home, and then they dug through this roof. Now, this isn't a normal roof. In those days, it was around half a meter deep, and it had uh, branches and leaves packed, and it was packed tightly together with mud so that it would form a surface that anyone could walk on top of it, and they would often lay out things on top of their roofs. And so this was a half a meter thick roof. And so to dig through that, they didn't have jackhammers or drills or anything of the like. They had to dig through that with their hands. And their hands would have been bloody, and their hands would have been sore, but they dug through this half a meter deep roof. Why? Because they needed to get their friend to Jesus Christ. And so just imagine you're hearing the word preached, you're coming to church, and then all of a sudden you just hear this rumbling above you. You're not too sure what's going on, but it's definitely an interruption, and you're already having to deal with the person singing off pitch behind you, and now you're hearing something from the roof. I do not want to be in this church. And then all of a sudden, a screw lands in your coffee cup. The coffee was already bitter. They got your name wrong at the coffee station. Now a screw's in the coffee cup. And then you just see a couple more screws fall down. And then you hear the sound of a jackhammer. And then you hear the sound of a drill and a sound of a saw or whatever. I'm not a DIY guy, but I imagine it's going to be loud. And, and then the word is being preached, but you can't hear and you can't listen. And you're being interrupted. 
And then all of a sudden there's a gaping hole in the roof and sunlight is beginning to pour through and you're going, what is going on here? That is the scene that we are faced with here. This isn't just a natural occurrence. This is an interruption in the work of Jesus Christ. And so often in the church, we would say, no, 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 we can't interrupt Jesus. We can't interrupt that moment or this moment. No, but they would have done anything possible to get their friends to Jesus Christ in that moment. And I want to say, will we be a church who carries each other's mats? Will you be a church who picks up each other's mats in faith? So my first question tonight is, who is carrying your mat? Now, like I said, the mat represents the thing that you most struggle with. It is a picture of our greatest area of need. And for some, maybe your mat is fear and anxiety. Maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's your marriage that you're just needing some hope in, that you've been slogging away for years and that the joy has gone. Maybe it's your quiet times like Nat's prayed for. Maybe you just can't connect with Jesus. See, we each have a mat. We come in with past, we come in with burdens, we come in with the story. And that's okay. That's the picture of the local church. See, my mat for so many years was that I struggled with depression and anxiety for 14 years. And I came to church each and every Sunday. And I sang the worship songs on the screen. I, I did life together. I was in connect groups. And I, I was serving in the life of the church. But I carried this thing with me. And I never allowed anyone to see it. See, I was in community. But I wasn't in fellowship with one another or with God. I didn't believe that he could save me, truly. I didn't believe that he could bring wholeness and healing. And so why bother telling anyone else about what was going on? What if they really saw what was underneath the surface? What if they really saw what was on my mat? What if they really saw the years and years of suicidal thoughts? What if they really saw the anxiety and the loneliness that I felt? What if they really saw me for who I was? And so I began to present different pictures that I thought people would desire of me rather than actually allowing someone to carry my mat. And so my question tonight is, who is carrying your mat? And in this community, I found healing and wholeness. Why? Because I allowed just certain people in this community to carry corners on my mat. There was an amazing couple called Jono and Shailene who would have me in their home and who would just shower me with love and attention, and I knew that some nights they actually couldn't provide food for their table for their kids. But they would have me in their home, and they would cook me a meal, and they would find out how I was doing, and that presented a picture of Jesus Christ to a world in desperate need of it. And they carried a corner of my mat. There's another couple called Wayne and Jen Barthes who were elders in the church, and they loved me, and they were with me in moments where I had to make some very big decisions whether to come onto staff or not come onto staff, whether to quit my job. And I had to wrestle these decisions, but I did it with people in this community. Why? Because they were willing to carry a corner of my mat. And when I was okay with bringing my mat before God and before people and actually just saying, it's going to be bare, it's going to be messy, it's going to be broken, it's going to be all of these things, that's when I experienced healing and I experienced the power of the local church. We're not supposed to keep people at a distance. We're supposed to carry each other's mats. 
And I can imagine that man's mat was stinky. It was smelly. He did, I guarantee you he didn't wash it every day because he wasn't able to. And it wasn't comfortable to be close to him. But because of four people who had compassion on him, who knew that Jesus Christ could save him, they did whatever possible, whatever it took to get, to that, to get that man to Jesus Christ. It's not about what it costs. It's about what it's worth. Who is carrying your mat? Who do you have in your life who you can share with, who you can let the veil down with, who you can truly be yourself with, who you can be vulnerable with, who can hold you to account? Who, who, what is accountability? It's not just policing each other's sins, but it's accounting for one another's ability in Jesus Christ. Who is carrying your mat? And secondly, whose mat are you carrying? See, we are here to experience healing and freedom and wholeness, but we're also called to do that for one another. Whose mat are you carrying? The Christian faith is not individual, it is communal. And the overarching truth, the reason he gives us this command is because the gospel is not about our comfort, but about his glory. And our motivation for fellowship is to obey his word and to give to others. So my question tonight is, whose mat are you carrying? See, someone else's miracle might be on the other side of you picking up their mat. Someone else's miracle may be on the other side of you picking up their mat. It could be offering to take them a meal. It could be having them in your home. It could just be giving them a few minutes where no one else will talk to them. It could be offering them assistance or whatever it may be. And it may not even be just people from this local community. Because we are supposed to be a sign and a wonder to the, to the world. Whose mat are you carrying? Because why was this man healed? Well, we see in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four friends, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't see the faith of the man on the mat. We don't even know if the man on the mat had any faith to be healed. He saw the faith of the four people around him. There's something that's special that happens when there's faith in the room of fellow believers in Jesus Christ to remind us of our identity in Jesus Christ, to remind us that we have a plan and a purpose for our lives, to remind us that he has called us to something greater. And there's healing and there's freedom and there's joy on offer but we need to be together to point us towards Jesus Christ each and every day. And I know that there's points in my life where I've been at my lowest moments and where I've just wanted to get back on my mat and where I'm carrying this mat in community and where I'm just carrying these burdens by myself. But then when others have come around me and when they have offered to pick up a corner of my mat, I found healing and I found freedom. We can't carry our mats alone, Life Changes Church. Whose mat are you carrying? <laughs> I appreciate that, Wayne, and I believe that. Helen Keller says this, walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. We will all need someone at some point to pick up our mats. And thirdly, take your mat to Jesus. These four friends had such a burden to get to Jesus Christ that they were willing to risk everything. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't have the theology worked out, but they knew that Jesus Christ could save this man.
And so they were willing to risk everything. They were willing to risk their personal status. They were willing to risk their comfort. They were willing to risk everything they had in order to get this man to Jesus Christ. Young people, are you willing to risk everything to bring your friends to Jesus Christ? No matter what people may think of you, no matter what it will cost, I promise you in eternity, there will be such a reward with our Father in heaven that is worth everything in life. So they took the mat to Jesus. And look what Jesus does here. Instead of just offering this man physical healing, because we would have expected that. He could have just said to this man, pick up your mat and go. But he does something different here. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? I can imagine Jesus sometimes looks at me and goes, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. What is your mat? What is your greatest area of need? Whatever your greatest area of need is, I promise you tonight, it is secondary to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. These four friends got together around this paralyzed man and they brought him to Jesus. Why? Because they knew that he was the only person who could bring restoration and hope and freedom. Jesus not, did not come to add to the sum total of our happiness. He came to bring dead people to life. It's not about our personal happiness or our story. It's about His glory. And He came to bring dead people to life. When we worshipped Him and when we bowed down, I really believe that His presence was here. But it's on offer for each of us in each and every moment of our lives. That when we come to Jesus and when we bring our mat to Jesus, He offers healing and He offers wholeness. And He says, your sins are forgiven. Do you have that burden for yourself and for others? That burden that you need to do everything in your life in order to bring people towards Jesus Christ. And it's going to require tough conversations. It's not going to be comfortable at times. It's going to cost you, but I promise it is worth it in eternity. Will you take your mat and each other's mats to Jesus Christ? Because I believe that when we are a church who carries his other's maps, this world will be radically transformed. I truly believe it. And I preach this with love and faith in my heart because I know some of your stories and I know what you have gone through and I know that Jesus Christ has touched your lives and to him be all the glory. But I know that there is more to come. And I know that there are empty chairs here tonight. And I know that there are people who need to encounter His grace and His love. That there are people in mats who cannot help themselves. And they are just waiting for someone to take a corner of their mat and bring them towards Jesus Christ. Will we be a church who carry each other's mats? See, do we see people through the eyes of Jesus? 
a burden to bring our mats and others' mats to Jesus Christ has to burn our hearts because we have such a deep revelation of His grace and the power and healing that comes to His bride through the church. Finally, Jesus says this, He got up, took His mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. When we commit to gather together, to pray together, to support one another, to pick up each other's mats, people will be amazed and will glorify and praise God and say that they have never seen anything like this. I am not the same man I was five years, six years ago now when I came into, these, uh, into this building and I was healed from depression. I believe that when people see the power of the local church and they see our mats, they go, they have never seen anything like this and they will praise God. See, the purpose of the local church is to glorify God, to be so irresistible in grace, in kindness, in fellowship, in truth, in deeds, that it becomes indispensable to the world. And so when I had you stand up and look at the other side, what did you notice? Maybe you noticed a new haircut. Maybe you noticed a person's outfit. Maybe you noticed the empty seat and that it wasn't filled with someone. See, we can observe people at a surface level. We can observe people at a distance, but we cannot pick up each other's mats at a distance. And so we aren't just called to do fellowship in rows. We aren't called to stand at a distance and look at each other's lives. We are called to be intimately involved in each other's lives. You don't know what each other's mats are. I don't know what some of your mats are. But I know that when we pick up each other's mats, Jesus Christ offers healing, and He offers wholeness, and He offers restoration. And that's the power of the local church. Can you stand to your feet? When we do life together, lost people become found, found people grow, lonely people find family, hurting people find healing, apathetic people find purpose, cities find hope, and the kingdom of God comes from heaven to earth. I want the city to find hope. And so three responses. Get connected, firstly. If you are not in a life group or a serving team, get connected tonight. Go to the next step stairs after the service and sign up. This isn't just to have more people doing things in the life of the church. I promise you, healing and wholeness is found when we do life in community and when we have brothers and sisters around us to support us and point each other towards Jesus Christ. And when we get to serve one another, it is a picture of Jesus to the world because the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And we are showing the world something different. And so if you aren't serving tonight, if you aren't in a life group and you don't have people to pray with you, if you don't have people to come alongside of you, I promise you, you need people to pick up your mat. Get connected. Come to men's camp. All the men in the room, there is no reason why you should not be there. If it's financial, come speak to me after the service and we'll sort something out for you. We are creating moments to gather together, to fellowship with one another. But it doesn't just stay there once every six weeks. 
It needs to be in and through our lives each and every day, each and every moment. Will we break bread together? Will we have each other in each other's homes? Will we pray for one another and truly pray for one another? Not just say we pray for you and then go by your day. Will we pray for one another and contend for one another with healing and faith in our hearts? So get connected. The second thing is stay connected. See, Jesus took a group of believers, no, a group of disciples who didn't even believe at that moment. 12 men from different aspects of life. And they would have, let's just say they spent 12 hours a day with Jesus Christ. Walking with Him for three years. Becoming more like Him. Because that is the hope of my heart is that we become more like Jesus Christ. But over three years, 12 hours a day, they would have spent around uh, 12,000 hours with Jesus. Becoming more like Him. Being challenged by one another. 12,000 hours. And sometimes we think that a two-hour moment on a Sunday is enough. Stay connected to His Word. Stay connected in His presence. Stay connected with fellow believers to point you towards Him. And then thirdly is who are you inviting? When you looked at each other, there were empty seats. Who are you inviting to experience healing? There are people on mats who need healing and wholeness and they are waiting for an invite just as I was invited. And because of the power of the invite, my soul was saved for eternity. Who are you inviting? So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing that chorus once more. How great is our God? Because this isn't about the, the passion of a preacher. This isn't about a clever illustration. This is about the power of Jesus Christ. The power of the local church. And so, Lord, I pray that you will pour out your spirit right now, Lord. And maybe where our hearts have become hard, that we will repent. That we will choose again to pick up each other's mats. It doesn't matter whether we've been a follower of you for 30 days or 30 years. That we will continue to pick up each other's mats. And we will continue to allow others to pick up our mats, Lord. But I pray that right now for anyone who needs healing or restoration, Lord. That you will come in power. You will come with the move of your spirit. You will come with your grace and your love right now, Lord. That there is power in the local church. And that as we sing together, as we praise your name, as we do that for which we were created for, you will get all the glory tonight. But that a city will see hope. That a city will see freedom. That a city will see restoration. And that the enemy will tremble as people begin to cry out, how great is our God. Because our God uh, conquered sin and death on a cross. And we walk in that victory.